start uh, this morning by reading the end of um, this book. We're going to begin in verse 17 and then read to verse 21. So please stand for the reading of God's Word. One of the reasons why we stand before uh, the Word is read, before it's preached, to prepare our hearts to hear God's Word, that we would submit to, to the Word of God with, uh, with reverence, uh, that we would humble ourselves before His Word. Hear God's word, Obadiah 17. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and those of Joseph a flame. And the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them. There shall be no survivor for the house of Esau. The Lord has spoken. The house of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau. And those of Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim, the land of Samaria. And Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites, as far as Zarephath. And the exiles of Jerusalem, who are in Sepharad, will possess the cities of Negev. Survivors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you as a God who hears the prayers of your people. God, we have praised your name. We have confessed our sins. We have been reminded that we are forgiven in Christ. God, I know that you have been pleased with the offering brought forth by your people this morning. And yet, God, in your kindness, you say to bring all our requests before you. So, God, we bring our needs before you now, asking that you would meet us in our needs. We pray specifically for uh, the family of Catherine Sharp as they grieve uh, the passing of uh, a mother, a uh, grandmother, a friend. God, we pray that you would minister to that family by your grace. God, we pray that your scriptures would be proven true, that those who come to you in grief and mourning, that you would give them comfort. We pray that now. Father, we continue to ask that you would be with the Zills family. We thank you so much for how, how you have used this church to surround them in recent days. I pray that you would continue to do so. And, Father, I pray that your, your Holy Spirit would just touch upon their hearts, would rest on them, God, that they would know that you're, you are, are real and that your presence is very um, alive in them. So, God, I pray that you would surround them with your grace. Father, we pray for all those who are hurting in our church physically. We pray for Barbara McGirt and Fred Justice. God, we, we pray for... Um, all those who have needs that are, are, are often unspoken, God. We pray for Miss uh, Lois Atkins, Lord, that you would be with all of them in their specific needs. And, God, we also pray that you would be with those who are just struggling spiritually this morning, uh, who come with heavy-hearted things and issues of sin in their life, God, uh, issues of just discouragement, not able to, 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 do, to be the kind of um, people of God that they desire to be. So, God, I pray that you would use this message, you'd use our time today of worship uh, to drive our hearts away from the love of this world uh, to a love of, of you, O oh God. And, God, we also just pray that you would continue to be with the leaders in our land. We pray for all our school principals uh, here in, in our area. God, we pray that you would be with our principals and vice principals as they govern our children. God, we pray that you would allow them to, to administer, um, administrate well, God, that they would be 
open to hearing the gospel uh, in their schools. God, we pray that you would allow them to be favorable to Christian organizations and allow them to, to lead our students well, that they would be uh, more holy reflections of you. God, we also just pray for uh, churches in our area without a pastor. We pray for, for Eastview and uh, for North Rock Hill, uh, for others, God, who are looking for a pastor. We pray, God, that you and your kindness would just bring the man that you would call to be in those churches, uh, that they would help edify and strengthen those churches to become a better witness uh, for the gospel in our community. And now, God, we come to our own hearts asking that you would speak. God, I pray that you would just uh, allow us to, to calm uh, our um, our objections to you, O oh God, that you would quiet our hearts, that you would soften them, that we would be able to hear and receive what you have for us. Uh, o oh God, I pray that as we dig through maybe difficult texts or difficult ideas, Lord, that you would, would allow these things to challenge us, that we would not um, just take them at face value, but God, that we would search your scriptures, and that we would have you reveal things to us. And God, I thank you for those of you who have brought in here today. And God, what a, what a joy you it is as you bringing Miss Eunice and uh, Miss Faye with us. God, I pray that you would use them as an example to us of what it looks like to trust in you for a lifetime. So, God, I pray that this message would allow us to trust you. When times are difficult, when people have, uh, are bringing up their accusations and persecutions against us, I pray that you would strengthen the hearts of your people. So, God, I pray now as we open your word, I pray that you would allow me to decrease, that you would increase, that the name of Jesus Christ would be exalted in this message, and that you would draw men unto yourself. God, we know that only you can bring salvation, only you can bring healing, only you can bring growth. So, God, we pray that we would plant seeds of faith today, that you would allow us to water those seeds of faith. And, oh, God, we pray that you would grow faith in the hearts of your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hate the sin, love the sinner. It's a statement as standard as a church in a church as air conditioning here is in the South. Uh, we have heard it so much that we almost assume it always to be true. The truth is that the phrase hate the sin and love the sinner is never found in the pages of Scripture. It is believed to have come from St. Augustine in, in one of his letters. A rough translation from the Latin was, was, would be, with love for mankind and hatred of sins. Augustine is probably known as the greatest theologian in the history of the church. He lived a wild life before the prayers of his mother led to his own uh, conversion. See, our culture has corrupted Augustine's original meaning by twisting its emphasis. Augustine was referring to loving others and hating one's own sins. The phrase kind of regained popularity, not in the church, but actually in the life of religious uh, leader, Muhammad Gandhi. Gandhi writes in his autobiography in 1929, I quote, Hate the sin and not the sinner is a precept with which, which, though easy enough to understand, is rarely practiced. And that is why the poison of hatred spreads in the world. Now, even in saying that, Gandhi is not promoting the phrase, but rather his quote has been, been taken out of context and, and then popularized in our culture. All truth we know is God's truth. So regardless of where the phrase originated, we have to ask, is it true? Does God love the sinner and hate the sin? And if so, should we? The answer is yes and no. 
Does God love the sinner? Absolutely. We know from Scripture, Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Does God hate sin? Again, absolutely. Habakkuk 1.13. You who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. God cannot look on evil with approval. But does God hate the sinner? The answer, according to God's word, is surprisingly yes. Psalm chapter 5, verse 4 through 6. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Now, you may think that I might be proof texting, but this is not an isolated verse. The Bible says that God hates sinners specifically 14 times in the first 50 Psalms alone. And this doctrine is not only seen in the Old Testament, it's but woven through the New Testament. We see in Romans 1, 18 to Romans 2, 5. John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the, the wrath of God remains on him. Beloved, the Bible is too complex for cliches. Now, we live in a world of cliches. We live in a world of 140 characters. See, Obadiah offers a wonderful insight to God's holy hatred towards sin, and yet his holy love towards his covenant people. Obadiah is the shortest book in the New Testament, only 21 verses, and all we know about the author is his name is Obadiah. Uh, some scholars would say that we don't even know if, if who Obadiah is because the name was so common. Really, all it means is a servant of Yahweh. And all, all we have is the beginning, verse 1, the vision of Obadiah. No other biographical information, uh, for the name was so common. So when we look at this thing, we want to look at this uh, message, really, and kind of breaks it down in two sections. A prophecy against Edom and a prophecy for Judah. It's kind of generally how this small book would be broken down. And I think if we look at this text, we can help answer the question, does God hate? And I think we'll clearly see that we, God does hate certain things about this world. Number one, God hates pride. God hates pride. Obadiah opens his prophecy with a pronouncement against Edom. Uh, Edom was the ancient people, a group that inhabited the land south of Judah and the Dead Sea. Uh, the Edomites descended from Esau and were the twin brother of Jacob, if you remember. Read God's word with me, Odiah chapter 1, 2 through 4. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the cleft of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like an eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Edom was located in the mountainous region southeast of the, of the Dead Sea. They believed that they were safe from the enemy, that they were secure because of their location. You, those of you who know battle history, you know, the, the, you never want to be the one going against those who have the higher ground. The higher ground usually wins. 
uh, the Edomites thought they were safe because of their lofty position. But notice what the Lord says of, of that, that pride, thinking that they were safe. Verse 3, the pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, who, who lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? You notice that pride there? Who can take us down? They believed they were untouchable. They believed that no nation was able to defeat their position. They asked that rhetorical question in their heart, who will bring me down to the ground? And we see the Lord answer them. Though you soar aloft like an eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, therefore I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Beloved, pride offered them and us false security. Pride is dangerous to the soul. Pride blinds us of our sin, for God sets his face against the proud. Proverbs 6, 16-19, the Bible says there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, or prideful eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who soars, sows discord among the brothers. You can make an argument that all the things that the Lord hates really are rooted in the, the sin of, of pride. And many scholars throughout history have said that pride is the root of all sin. The New Testament, both James and Peter, draw the dangers of this pride out by quoting Proverbs 3:34. Both in James and 1 Peter, they say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God sets himself up against those who are arrogant, those who are Full of themselves, C.S. Lewis, great 20th century theologian, writes in Mere Christianity, As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see anything that is above you. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having something, having more of it than the next man. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone. Does, does that describe you? Are you always looking down on other people and their pursuits? Do you have pleasure and contentment in what you have or that, what, that you have more than others? The proud are condescending and rude. We even see that in 1 Corinthians 13. They never looked to serve others, but only themselves. This was Edom. They thought of themselves. They thought so much of themselves, God said, Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. Their pride caused them to despise others. We'll see specifically how they despised their own brothers in Israel. It's hard to see our own pride. It's hard to see how it shows itself in our own life. A biblical counselor, Stuart Scott, provides several ways that pride can manifest itself in our own lives. So the challenge with our pride is it often blinds us. So as I read this list, do any of these characterize your life? Remember, God opposes the proud. So if I'm trying to help you not be opposed by God by helping you reveal maybe some pride in your own life, Listen to this list. Number one, being unthankful. Proud people think they deserve only what is good. Outburst of anger. 
withdrawing or pouting when your rights or schedules are not met. You ever get angry with someone when they change their schedule on you at the last minute? I know sometimes it happens to me right at the end of the day when I lay down and I'm ready to kind of zone out for the evening and my wife says, hey, sweetie, would you mind getting up and getting water for the kids? In that moment, my schedule is of rest and comfort and my pride wells up. How dare you ask me to get up from my couch? You do the same, right? Manifest in small ways and bigger ways. Perfectionist, we want all, we want to be the best at things so we can brag about ourselves or self-validate ourselves internally. What about monopolizing conversations, being stubborn, unwilling to hear others? Maybe being consumed with what others think of them. Being devastated by criticism. Being unteachable. Defensive. We cannot admit our faults, so they, we trivialize, rationalize, or justify our sin and then blame others for it. Or resisting authority. A lack of submission exposes a prideful heart. And does that describe you? Does anything there kind of reveal in your own life? Jesus warns us, judge not that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you used, it will be measured back to you. Beloved, we must work to foster humility in our lives. Pride severs relationship. Pride causes friction in the body of Christ, friction in the home. Uh, pride blinds you from seeing someone else's perspective. It, 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 it blinds you from seeing the impact of your own sin on others. It helps us to justify a variety of sins. But humility is the foundation of love. Humility puts others first. Humility heals. Humility teaches us to listen. It models, uh, humility models Christ who humbled himself, taking the very nature of a servant, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So we want to foster humility. The question is, is how? How do we foster humility in our own life? The same article, Stuart Scott, offers ten specific ways you can foster humility. I pray these will become more and more evident in your life and in ours. Number one, I think foundationally, focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Consume yourself with Jesus. We recently just went over the book of Philippians. In, in Philippians 104 verses, 50 of them have the word Jesus Christ mentioned. Paul was consumed with Jesus, and so should we. Number two, be overwhelmed with God's goodness. Thankfulness characterizes humility. There are so many things that we can complain about and, and, and bemoan about for what we don't have. But we need to turn our hearts to thankfulness for what God has given us. Number three, Commune with God. I don't think there could be a better way to, to foster humility in your own life by going to God in prayer. Four, serve others. Humble Christians can be useful and fruitful for others. Five, obey God's revealed will in all things. We live by the saying, what saith the Lord? But the foundation of our lives is not tradition. It's not our, our, our family. The foundation is God's word. What does the Lord say? Number six, learn from others. Invite instruction. Ask others to teach you. Encourage others. Cultivate eyes in your life where you see the evidence of grace going on in others' lives. And you, can, you can praise God for what God is doing among other people, not only in your own life. Pursue integrity in your private life and in your public life. Deny yourself by assuming you have no rights. All Christians have been bought with a price. We are no longer our own, but we belong wholly and completely to Jesus Christ. He tells us 
our marching orders. And lastly, think so rightly and soberly of yourself while bowing before God and others. John Bradford used to look out his window upon the road. Uh, there were uh, gallows where people used to be hanged in his town. Day after day, he saw poor, condemned prisoners being carried to the cart to die. And he often would say, there goes John Bradford. That would be me, but by the grace of God. Brother, brothers, when we look at our, uh, our lives, we look at down upon others. We always must know that that could be us outside of the grace of God. Sadly, Edom did not think of themselves rightly, but they were lifted high in their thinking. They were proud. And how did Edom's pride specifically manifest itself? The second thing we look at. They persecuted God's people. God hates persecutors. God hates persecutors. So the prophecy continues, Edom showing that they will be completely pillaged and ransacked. Uh, the nation of Edom, remember, came from the line of Esau. E Obadiah kind of draws the comparison between Jacob and Esau. They were, they were brothers. Edom should know the special relationship with God's people. And instead of loving God's people, they, they persecuted them. So what happened is, is that, that Babylon came to take down Judah. And Edom was off on the side. Instead of helping Judah and protect them against Babylon, they actually joined with Babylon and pillaged against Judah as a way to earn favor with their new army coming in. Hear God's word, beginning in verse 5. God's word says, If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed. Would, you not, would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged. His treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. You have prevailed against, they have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. What Edom did is they joined along with the Babylonians. And God is saying, those who, you, who eat bread with you are really going to turn out against you. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men of Edom and the understanding of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Timon, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. It's interesting when you, when you read this, this is a future event that the Lord is declaring will happen to Edom. But it's using past tense language. You have been destroyed, has been pillaged. The Lord's judgments are so sure that when he announces them, they are good as being done. As same with his judgment as with his promises. Amen? Edom will be destroyed, but we do not yet know when Edom will be destroyed and why the Lord will execute his judgment specifically against Esau. The Lord calls out to Edom, for they persecuted his people. Look at verse 10. Edom will be destroyed. Why? Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob. Shame will cover you, and you should be cut off forever. Those who do violence to God's people will do, have violence done to them. Isn't that a comforting thought? How often as are God's people always put on the ropes? Right now, when, when we are put on the ropes in our, in our Christian, you know, in the Christian world here in America, people may ridicule us. People may post 
something on social media that is derogatory about Christians. But our brothers and sisters are being slain overseas. They're being brought out before the world and they're being executed publicly. And everyone who does violence to God's people will have violence done to them. That is the sure promise of God's word. We see that in verse 11. The Lord continues, On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. So when the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem, the Edomites did not offer any assistance to help his people. They did not act for God's people, but rather acted against them. They chose the side of the powerful enemy in, in hopes that their future was secured. And they chose the wrong side. God takes it very seriously when, when people act against his people. When people act against God's people, it is as if they're acting against God himself. We saw this in Paul's life. Remember on the road to Damascus, when the, when the bright light shone and the voice came from heaven, and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? We, we don't have any recollection or any, any, any biblical revelation that, that Paul actually met the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but Paul was persecuting God's people. And the, and the Lord Jesus Christ is so intimately connected with his people that when you persecute God's people, you persecute the Lord. To sin against God's people was to sin against God. Mark Dever notes, actions against God's people are actions against God. You see why? God cares so much about unity and love in the local church. We spent all last week talking about that last Sunday evening, about fighting for unity in the life of the local church. God hates the persecutors of his people. And God hates it when God's people persecute God's people. When we lift ourselves up in pride and have, and have pride against our brothers and sisters. If we were more humble in the life of the body, there would be no arguments that we could not work out with grace and charity. I think it puts a greater weight here on, on how we live and love each other as the body of Christ. Even, even that last phrase, we are identified as the body of Christ. This is an intimate picture of God and his people. So we need to be encouraged that those who are opposed to God's people will be opposed by God himself. And it should be a reminder and encouragement to us to continue to entreat ourselves to one another. Odom, Obadiah promises Edom will face that future judgment on the day and there will be nothing they can do to stop it. Verse 8 and 9, the wise men, the mighty men will be destroyed. The wise and the strong will not be able to help you on the day of the Lord. Notice the irony as, as he's kind of moving towards the end of this prophecy of, of how he uses the word day. Look at verse 11 through 16 and pay particular emphasis on how, how Obadiah uses the word day here. Verse 11, on the day you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots over Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother and the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. 
So what, what the Lord's doing here, he's reminding the Edomites how you treated the, the Israelites. How do you treat your brothers? He's bringing that up. Remember that day, that time when Babylon came in? Remember that day, how you gloated and how you rejoiced in their ruin? God returns this. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. The Lord says, do not rejoice or gloat over God's people when they suffer, because the day of the Lord is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return to your own head. The Lord is fulfilling the golden rule. What you do unto others will be done unto you. This is a common theme throughout Scripture. So considering the day of the Lord, when we will be held accountable for our actions, we must live in a way that honors God and honors God's people. Last thing that I think that God hates from this text is God hates the prince of darkness. God hates the prince of darkness. A humanity fell in their pride to follow the ways of the tempter in the garden. After Adam and Eve sinned, they hid from God. And we see pride always has its cost. People live now in a fear of judgment, but God promises a day when he will restore, come and restore his people. Look at how Obadiah closes, verse 17. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape. It shall be a holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau is stubble. They shall burn them and consume them. They shall be no survivors but for the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. And jump down to verse 20. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites. And the exiles of Jerusalem shall possess the cities of Negev. Survivors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. God will restore his people through his son. He will establish his kingdom forever. Obadiah speaks about a future day when the exiles of Babylon will possess the land. And we know this can only happen through the work of Jesus Christ, who will destroy the works of the devil. You saw that when Josh read 1 John chapter 3, that Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself, speaking of the Lord Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The only way to destroy the one who has the power over death, the devil, is for the God-man Jesus Christ not to come in pride, but to come in humility. He humbled himself to share in flesh and blood like us and to die in our place. Jesus hates the devil, and therefore he destroys him through death, through a humble death, and now has delivered us from the fear of death. The dreadful effects of pride are destroyed through the humility of the Savior. Hear that. The dreadful effects of pride are destroyed through the humility of the Savior. That is the same thing in our own lives. The dreadful effects of pride in our world, in our families, and in our church can be 
destroyed with the humility of God's people. The God promises in James 4.10, Humble yourself before the Lord and He will exalt you. God hates evil. And He hates those who bring evil. And although... In His holiness, He puts them at odds with evil. His love is always available to those who what? Who humble themselves and repent and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord, as their Messiah and Savior. Jesus came to taste death for everyone. That though that through Him He might that we might possess the promised land and experience that that the kingdom of the Lord, the kingdom that will never be shaken. No one who pridefully opposes God will stand. But everyone who humbly calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Even the last line of this brief book should should give us hope. The kingdom shall be the Lord's. We always should take hope. Why? It's because the kingdom belongs to the Lord. The Lord will reign. He's the only lasting king. He's the only lasting kingdom. Do not stand against him in pride, but humble yourself that you may be exalted at the proper time. God will destroy his enemies, and he will deliver his people. God does not delight in destroying his enemies, for he wants his enemies to become exiles. This is why the Lord came. The Lord came to to rescue us from darkness to the kingdom of, of, of the evil one, to bring us into the kingdom of the beloved Son. Even in, in, in 1 Peter, he opens to the elect exiles who have been sanctified by the Spirit, who obey Jesus Christ through trusting in his blood. Beloved, we were once enemies. We were once like the Edomites, full of pride and, and, and persecution of God's people. But we have become exiles in the Lord's kingdom. We now shine as humble servants to a proud world. Beloved, God must demonstrate his hatred towards sin and death because he's a just and a holy God. Good cannot tolerate evil. But thanks be to God that God has overcome evil through the blood of his cross. He's taken former enemies like you and I and turned us into humble servants against the deeds of darkness. We are now called to go into the world to rescue people from darkness, calling on them to repent and trust in Christ. So even today, if you are, are one who has, has lived your life in pride, lived, yourself, lived your life as your own Lord, thinking that whatever you want to do in your life, you can do because you are in control of your own destiny, well, I would just challenge you to humble yourself before God this morning, calling upon God to save you. Beloved, we are either children of God or children of wrath. John three sixteen through 18. Notice how we always read verse 16, but we forget verse 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God wants to save people. God wants you to call upon his name. God wants to to send his great and gracious mercy to you. That's what he delights in. And he wants God's people to be tools for that. But notice what it says. Whoever believed in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Romans 5.10 For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by death of his Son, 
Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. We were once enemies, but we have been reconciled to God by the death of the Son. Reconciliation is always a mark of God's people. We want God to be reconciled to others. Alexander III was the, the Tsar of Russia from 1881 to 1894. Uh, if, you, if you study his life, he was really he ruled Russia with a, oppression and persecution of the Jews, God's chosen people. Maria, his wife, was really the opposite. She was compassionate and gracious uh, to the people of, of Russia. One day, uh, Alexander sent an order uh, of one of the enemies of the empire to be put to death by exile in Siberia. He sent an order, pardon impossible, to be sent to Siberia. This enemy was to be an exile. The hate that Alexander had towards those who opposed him led to certain death. His wife, however, intercepted the order, and she changed the place of the comma. The new order read, pardon, impossible to be sent to Siberia. The man was set free. Well, this is, this is exactly what Christ Jesus has done for us. He has changed the sentence that has stood against us. We all deserve, as enemies, his just judgment. Pardon impossible to be sent to hell. But God has taken our judgment for us in Christ. So now all who believe, hear me, all who believe in Christ now receive these words. Pardon impossible. To send to hell. Friends, we all have the opportunity for that pardon. God has promised to change our sentence. He has promised to a pardon for the humble who bow their knee to the Lord. But there will be wrath and fury for the proud of heart. There is only one sovereign. It's not you. It's not I. It is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. So I would challenge you, do not experience God's hatred towards sin, his wrath towards sinners. But as Luke 14, 11 says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Humble yourself and receive Christ's pardon. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being a good and gracious God. I thank you for being one who wants to pardon your enemies. God, we know that you hate sin. We know that you will ultimately hate sinners by giving them a just punishment for their sins. I pray that all who are here, God, those who, who hear my voice this morning, God, I pray that you would allow them not to leave under your wrath, but under your grace. Oh, God, I pray that you would humble them, God, that you would allow them to confess their pride and, and allow them to trust in you. For, Lord, we believe that those who, who exalt themselves will be humbled, but, Lord, those who humble themselves will be exalted. Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus who lived that example out for us. God, we pray that we would be a people who walk in humility. We ask this in Jesus' name.